I think that back to Ray Bradbury, he used to talk about, he was not a plotter. Um, one of his big quotes is, you know, that you, you put the hero on the page and then you just chase after him. Um, but he used to talk about in his talks that he believes that there's this super conscious that wants stories told. I mean, people have been telling stories before we had words when they were painting them on the cave wall. Yeah. And he believed that movie studios would all come out with the same Snow White movie, but a different person wrote it. You know, he, he thought this super conscious wants these stories told. And if you're brave enough to just let it download and you just go, yeah. he thought that that was, you know, a really honest story. And so for me, I have so much fun with that. That's my favorite part is chasing after these people and going, oh my gosh, this thing that I put down two books ago yeah. was for this moment. Welcome to JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna, and today I have Lisa Kessler joining me from Florida. Oh, wow. Lisa is a really interesting person. Um, first, with her writing, she is a best-selling author of passionate page-turning fiction. She has written 40 books in over 10 years. She has twice won the San Diego Book Award for Best Published Fantasy, Sci-Fi, Horror, and Best Published Romance. Her books have also won the PRISM Award and just many, many more. And one, another one I want to highlight is her vampire story, Immortal Beloved. It was a finalist in the Bram Stoker Award. She has multiple series, a blog, and her podcast, Book Lights, which I had the pleasure of being on this week. And she's joining me here from Florida with her dog, Fiona. I have got Ozzy here. Ozzy has all his T-O-Y-S. I even have, like, nice music in the background, which I hope doesn't get picked up by the mic. <laughs> And I'm trying to keep him calm. He's a mini schnauzer, Lisa. Oh, and, cute. Yeah. And um, he threw his rope at me today when I was doing yoga. So I'm just trying to, okay, come on. <laughs> come on, buddy. Okay. But Lisa, Lisa, welcome. And I'm really excited to talk with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So we chatted on Monday. 
And uh, now it, this is cool because this gets to be my turn now. So <laughs> how did you get your start in writing? Well, I wrote for fun for a long time uh, because I was a huge Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles oh, fan. Yeah. And if anyone out there who used to read them as they came out, it was a long wait in between, like a year and a half. And with the birth of the interwebs, I found other Anne Rice lovers and we made our own Yahoo group back in the day. And we would write our own vampires and we would email them to each other and we would have our vampires meet up and talk and all that. And I had absolutely no idea that I was practicing to be a writer, but I wrote every single day. I filled up an entire hard drive with vampire stories and, uh, I never thought about publishing. I was in my family business. I was also a big singer at that point. I was singing with San Diego Comic Opera and San Diego Opera. You know, writing was just this fun thing in the background. And then I went to on a trip to New Orleans for work. And this really is true because everybody's like, what? It sounds yeah. paranormal, but it's really true. Yeah. But I went to New Orleans for work for a trade show. So, of course, I had to go get a palm reading of some kind while I was there. And I went in this shop and not only was her reading like scarily accurate, but as we were leaving, she stopped me at the door and said, can I ask you something before you go? And I said, sure. And she said, are you a writer? And I said, no, I sell window shades. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, I write for fun. And she smiled and she said, you're going to be a famous writer someday. And I left that shop going, what? Could I write a book? Because I was a really avid reader and I didn't think that I could write anything long enough to be a book, but I couldn't, it, it wouldn't go away. And six months later, I had my first book written and started shopping that around, getting a million rejections. Yeah. So then I started writing short stories to see if maybe, you know, I just wanted someone to tell me if this was actually viable for me. Yeah. And I got a bunch of short stories published. And then when Immortal Beloved was a finalist for the Bram Stoker with the horror writers, I thought, okay, well, so I'm not horrible at this. <laughs> um, and eventually, of course, I did get my book published and I have published, I believe my 40th book just came out and I've written 43. I'm writing book 44 right now. Um, so anyway, but she really changed my life that day. It was not even on my radar. And then years later, I was so lucky that I got to meet Ray Bradbury. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, he was he was so fantastic. He could just make you cry talking about the craft of writing. But at that point, I was having so many rejections. I wasn't published yet and I was losing my love for writing and I was working for a literary paper and we had an interview with Ray and the trade-off was that we would all get to meet him. We had a tiny staff, so there were like four of us, but we were all going to get to meet Ray Bradbury. So when I got to meet him, I asked him, you know, what could I do to improve my writing? And I thought he would recommend a craft book. He had written a couple. Yeah. And instead he said, the best thing you can do is write a new short story every week for a year. He said, you'll be a different writer at the end. And I, 
And I had already sold short stories. So I knew, you know, that's not a career path. You can't, you just don't make very much money selling short stories. So it took me a few weeks to finally wrap my brain around that. But I finally thought, you know, I'm desperate and it will get me writing again. So I started and it became so fantastic. I always recommend it to everyone. It was yeah. the best thing ever. He really saved me. I don't know if I would have gotten published had he not done that because I wrote, I enjoyed it so much. I did it for almost two years, every single week. Um, okay. And I wrote three or four novels in that time. Um, two of my book series have come from those short stories um, it, it just changed everything and it made me faster. I was better at researching. It made me better at hooks and twists. And it was just the best thing ever. He really saved me. And so between all of that, I ended up getting my book publishing contract and all of that. And it really all came from a fortune teller and Ray Bradford telling me to write short stories. So <laughs> But I was not one of those people who grew up, you know, going, I'm going to be a writer. I mean, I enjoyed writing and I was proficient at it, but I was going down the music path. And, yeah. and you know, so anyway, who knew? But but yeah, the fortune teller really changed my life that day. And then Ray Bradbury made it possible. I feel what a, like what a way to open up a podcast with that story. <laughs> Bam! All right. I love it. <laughs> and it, I'm scribbling down here. Short story advice by Ray Bradbury. One a week. One a week. A new short story every week. And some weeks they were shorter. Some weeks I would do flash fiction. Like I, I got addicted for a while to doing a full complete story in 250 words or less. Um, I would do murder in 250 yeah. words or less. And that was really educational to figure out how to use only words that were doing something that weren't just taking up space. So that was huge. So I did that um, some weeks. And most of the time, the stories averaged around 2,000, 2,500 words. And I would put them, this was again, back in MySpace days, I would put them up on my MySpace blog. And if anybody takes up this challenge, I highly recommend that you give yourself a deadline date. Yeah. So I would put them up every Sunday night on my MySpace blog. Yeah. So everyone knew that it was coming. So I felt like I would let everyone down if I didn't have a story up because there are some weeks where you're so uninspired. I mean, there were weeks where I was looking through odd news stories to try and find an idea. Um, so having that deadline though made all the difference. And the other cool thing it did was I would put it up on my blog and eventually I got... I want to say that I was up to like 60,000 subscribers at one point on, on my MySpace blog. So sad when MySpace exploded, but oh well. Um, <laughs> but I had no idea I was building a readership for yeah. when my books actually came out. And so all of these things just happened organically, but it was all rooted from one person telling me, maybe this is a path for you. And then Ray Bradbury telling me, write all those short stories. And he used to say that, that writing is like the hardest art because we all learn in school how to write a complete sentence. Yeah. And so we write a book of sentences and we think it's ready. Yeah. And he said, but we don't know how to tell a story yet. Yeah. 
And so he was talking about that you have to write a half a million words of crap before (laughs) you find your storyteller and you learn to tell a story. And I thought when he said that, I thought, I've been writing all those vampire things every night for years. And I had no idea that I was practicing for this life. It's just like, woo. So anyway, I do tend to be metaphysical, but I'm like, wow, the universe was pointing me down this path and I didn't even see it. I didn't even realize it was happening. That is um, so cool. But yeah, it was all coming together to get me where I was supposed to go, I guess. So very cool. It wasn't my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. So You started with the vampire stories. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm wondering is, are you indie? Are you hybrid? Are you traditionally published? A mix of the both? Um, I'm hybrid. So I have um, one series with a publisher and I publish the rest myself. Um, I started out with a publisher. When I first got published, uh, my first book came out in 2011. And self-publishing existed, but it was very new and I was very new. So I didn't feel comfortable doing it myself. I I didn't even know where I would start at that point. And um, so I went the traditional route and I did find a publisher and all that kind of thing. And I think, when did I start self-publishing? Not until 2015, I think, or 2014, 2015, um, because I wanted to know how. Yeah, And I ended up, most of my readers crossed over and I thought, okay, well, I can do this. But there are pluses and minuses when you indie publish, you're paying for the cover, the editing, the formatting, all of that up front before you get royalties. So for me, being hybrid is really nice because I can put out more books and half of the books, I don't have to pay for cover and editing. The publisher does all that. So so it's plus and minus, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm hybrid. I didn't think about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's a really good point. Okay. Yeah. About with the hybrid. Okay. Cause I've been mm-hmm. indie all along. Right. Right. I had some short stories published traditionally, but okay. Okay. So, okay. Let's get to your current book. Okay. Um, I've been reading Sedona Salvation which is mm-hmm. book nine of the Sedona Pack series. Now, Sedona, I had to Google this. It's a city in Arizona, but it, you say it yes. in, you say it, it's like, it's clear in your book. Okay. But I also wanted to see it. So I was, I was like, okay, Sedona, right? Isn't Sedona. it gorgeous? You have to go there. You have to go there someday. It's so amazing. So why, <laughs> why Sedona? I'm just, that's what I'm curious about. Okay. Um, Because I love going there. And, and so I like to, I have written one series where I made up a fictional town. Yeah. All the rest of my series happened somewhere real. And I like for me, because I write paranormal, I like to have the real be as real as humanly possible, because I think it makes it easier to suspend your 
disbelief, you know, and you can go, wow, maybe vampires do live in La Jolla. Um, Maybe, you know, because if I can make the real part as real as possible, that they have jobs, they have, you know, all this kind of thing, it makes it easier for the paranormal to be, you know, maybe that could happen. Um, So I tend to pick cities where I want to go or places that I've been that I loved and I want to go back because then I can write it off my taxes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But the first time I ever went to Sedona, I was so awestruck and I had heard about it, of course, from because I'm from San Diego. So we, you know, it's driving distance. It's a long drive. But so I've had lots of friends who had been there and it's such a mystical, magical, amazing place. But there are these red rock mountains there that are they're they're massive and you just can't even imagine it until you get there and when you drive into Sedona I just remember we like pulled over and we're just going (gasps) everywhere you look it's just it's just magical you look at it's kind of similar to like if you look at the ocean and then your troubles seem tiny because the ocean so big. It's like that with these mountains, plus the added thing of that they're ancient. I mean, so you stand there and you look at them and they're massive and ancient and they'll be here long after you. And there's just this peaceful, (laughs) you go to Sedona and it's just, you breathe it in and it's peaceful. Every time I would come out of the, we did an Airbnb and every time I would come out of the Airbnb and there's this mountain, I'm like, Sedona, why are you so (laughs) pretty. Um, <laughs> how do people live here? How do yeah. you live here with this all the time? But, um, but anyway, I love it there. So I went, um, I've been there, I think three times and, um, it's just an amazing place. And my favorite part of, um, putting this series out is I have a lot of international readers. Okay. And so I get what you were saying that they Googled it and they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It's real. Um, And, and one of my readers who lives in France um, had sent me a link to, she found a YouTube video of someone flying a drone around um, Sedona. And she's like, I just can't believe this is so beautiful. And she's going to go there. And so I love finding cool places like that so that readers maybe will go there. Um, My first series that I wrote is based in San Diego and they're night walkers like vampires. And I had included, because I grew up in San Diego, we, everybody, all the kids in California in fourth grade history learn about the Spanish missions in California, and we all make models of the missions. It just, I thought the whole world did that, and the rest of the United States does not. (laughs) So I made the San Diego mission, the Mission de Acala was a big part of Nightwalker, and it was so amazing because I had international readers, and that series actually got translated into French Canadian, Um, but I had- I'm going to look that one up. Readers yeah. who went to the mission in San Diego and sent me pictures. They're Aww. like, it's just like you said in the book. And so that kind of stuff is really cool to me that maybe readers will go there. I, yeah. I try hard to make make it so that you know maybe you want to go see it. So that part's exciting for me. And Sedona is such a diamond. Everyone should go there. It's just beautiful, very mystical. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. So what I think is cool is that 
like you said, we said your series is based on a specific location, like the Sedona pack series, you have different characters in it. And I think that is so cool. So did you start out writing this series thinking you were going to base it on this beautiful city? Because it sure allow opens you up to allow different stories, different characters in that series. I thought that was a yes. really, yeah. Um, well, because it's paranormal romance and romance, typically you have a different couple in each book, but I like to have an overarching event that's happening. So, so in the Sedona pack, there is always this threat. There's, there's a Senator, um, in the armed forces committee who wants to, um, declassify the werewolf super soldier research. And so in the entire Sedona pack, every book deals with a different aspect of trying to stop that from happening. So you're starting on the last book. So this is the big pow of what's going to happen. But um, so basically my first wolf pack was in Reno, Nevada, which I also love. I love Reno, Nevada, but, um, but the, the Reno pack, um, their big bad, they blew it up at the end, but I had, I had one book where there was a prodigal werewolf who had gotten a job in Arizona and that's where we met the Sedona pack. And so I decided we would go back and fix the Sedona pack. I left them in completely disarray. <laughs> so, so then we went there and then during the Sedona pack, we met the Salem pack in Salem, yeah. Massachusetts, and they are in transition. So that's going to be the next wolf pack series. So I'm going up to Salem next month. Like, yeah, next month. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. <laughs> For book research, I call it book research adventures. Um, so I'm going to learn all about Salem and that will also be the first wolf pack with magic because we'll have witches in there. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, that is cool. So, That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Okay. Now the book is out now, Sedona Salvation, book nine. It's out now. And thinking about the different heroes in mm-hmm. this series. Okay, so there's Jet Kendrick, which is in the current book, right? Mm-hmm. There's Gage, Riker, Vance. And then I saw on your website, which we'll make sure you tell everyone what your website is. Um, you have a blog post titled Top Five Tortured Heroes. And I thought, <laughs> okay, this is going to be cool. Okay, so is there a common element that you look for. I call them male leads um, because when I'm reading your book and I think about my book, the, the heroines, the driving force. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I always refer to them as male leads, you know? So is mm-hmm. there, is there a common element you look for, for your male leads and um, for your heroines in your books? Um, I try to mix them up a lot. So they're, um, they're not, they're not always the same tortured heroes are kind of my catnip. I love the, (laughs) 
the brooding, you know, why is he like that guy? Those are always my favorite. Um, so, but I don't make them all like that. Um, yeah. some, some of them are more, you know, players. I just finished, um, I have another immortal pirate book that comes out in June. And that was my first time ever having a sunshine pirate and a grumpy heroine. Um, so wow. that was so fun. Yeah. Um, so I try to mix it up just so I don't get bored and readers don't get bored, but, but tortured heroes are my favorite. So I have written those the most. And, uh, so that was my, my top five. I, I've been having fun trying that out. Um, so right now I have my top five kick-ass heroines, um, is up on my blog now, um, because those are fun too. I have fun yeah. with those also. Some of them are really kick-ass and I'm like, dang, I wish I could be that cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but some of mine are different, you know, in a different way. I always write strong heroines. I, I don't ever want a character to be saved by someone else. I always want them to save themselves. Um, but there are certain tropes and certain character traits that I love you know, most like a tortured hero. Um, yeah. Obviously, Faded Mates is fun for me because the werewolves are all a faded mate, but they don't know in my world, I made it. They don't know until they touch skin to skin. Yeah. So people who read my books, it's always fun for the readers. Um, because sometimes I can make that go a long time before they find out that's their mate. And sometimes they find out right away in the beginning. And, and so it's all, hey, but so it's always fun um, to figure out new different ways for them to to find out that yeah. oh my gosh this is my mate. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's when they're fighting because um, enemies to lovers is fun for me too. So sometimes when they're trying to kill each other, he realizes oh god this is the one. Um, wow, that <laughs> is so cool! Wow, yeah, it's really fun. oh that must have been fun to write. I'm just thinking, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Now, when you and I had our chat, we had talked about events and or situations or revelations coming to our characters, you know, and like almost like subconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering, has there been any events that were revealed to you in book nine? You know, um, any surprises your characters revealed to you that you're just like, whoa. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, yeah, book nine, um, I brought in a heroine who could control lightning. And I, I knew that a couple books earlier, I'm not a plotter. So I don't, I don't have a big series outline. And I don't, usually, I, I pull tarot cards for the for the um, past, present, future for both the hero and heroine so that I have something to go on and then off I go. And so anyway, she has this, this lightning and it didn't occur to me that she must have inherited that from somewhere. And her mom was dead, so she had to learn to use it herself. But I knew that the Salem pack was going to be next because I had done that. It, we met them in an earlier book, but I had no idea that she would be connected to that. And I don't know why I didn't, uh, but it didn't even occur to me. So as I was writing the book and, and 
her mother is from Salem and all this stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then I realized that she's an elemental witch, which I hadn't even thought of, but I was like, Jeez. oh, okay. And, and <laughs> so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that back to Ray Bradbury, he used to talk about, he was not a plotter. Um, one of his big quotes is, you know, that you, you put the hero on the page and then you just chase after him. Um, but he used to talk about in his talks that he believes that there's this super conscious that wants stories told. I mean, people have been telling stories before we had words when they were painting them on the cave wall. Yeah. And he believed that movie studios would all come out with the same Snow White movie, but a different person wrote it. You know, he, he thought this super conscious wants these stories told. And if you're brave enough to just let it download and you just go, yeah. he thought that that was, you know, a really honest story. And so for me, I have so much fun with that. That's my favorite part is chasing after these people and going, oh my gosh, this thing that I put down two books ago yeah. was for this moment. Yeah. What? Um, that's always very cool yeah. to me. Um, so I actually even keep right here. I keep a little writing magic journal um, so that I can write down when cool things happen so that I don't forget. And so that I can, you know, if I'm feeling not inspired by something, I can, um, I can write it down. So like when I was writing salvation, I wrote planned for hope to be able to control lightning. Where did the power come from? (laughs) Just asked on the page. Um, I, I discovered her mom was from Salem an elemental witch. And she was shunned for marrying the senator, and it leads to the Sedona Pact and a big yeah. happy place. Yeah. Um, so I try to I try to be conscious when those moments happen, so that I can write them down. Because every once in a while, you get a book that's hard to write, yeah. and so I can flip back through and go, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay." Look, look for magic moments. You know, yeah. there's that that famous quote about if you look for magic, you see it everywhere. Yeah. And, And so sometimes I use that to remind myself. (laughs) Well, and it is so true because I know when I was working on, when we talked on Monday and I was talking about dealer's child, I knew that things were going to change for Jade. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it didn't happen in that book. I thought it was going to happen in that book because I remember changing the ending in that book. And then as I'm working on book three, you know, she's getting into trouble with like with things with issues with the law. And then it kind of came to me. I don't even think I was writing. I was doing something else. And it just it's almost like it went click. This is that change. Right. You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Cool. That's the best. That's the best part writing, I think, is when when something comes up that you did not plan, that you didn't see coming, but then you realize four steps ago that you put that you put that weird side detail in with yeah. no idea why. Yeah. And then you find out. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's that just makes writing worthwhile for me. Yeah. <laughs> the magic moments. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So in the current book, it is really neat seeing the heroes from the past books, you know, like I, you have Vance, you have Chandler and I'm it's, I don't want to say you're playing God, but it must be cool when you get these 
characters together? Like, is it is it a spontaneous? Like, because I'm not a plotter either. I don't plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I I could show you in a very embarrassing lined piece of paper with just a line across it with <laughs> markings, right? So did you, knowing you're not a plotter, did Vance and Chandler like make their appearances as you were writing? Or did you know that, okay, these guys are coming back? Um, well, when I write a wolf pack book yeah. in the first book, you pretty much meet the entire pack okay. and then each book, different ones are in the spotlight if it's their book. And I never have a plan of who's yeah. going to show up to help with what, but I know them all. So I know what they're good at. And yeah. so I know which one to bring in, you know, if, if something needs to be investigated or there's danger or they need defense, that's going to be Vance because he used to be an assassin. And if it's something about tracking down a news story, it's going to be Chandler because he works as a news anchor. And if it's, you know, so I can pull in different, um, different characters who have skills that I need. Um, And that's really fun with a wolf pack because I do give them regular jobs and different things. And so when I need something, I'm like, Oh, it has to be, you know, so it is kind of like moving chess pieces around, but, but, um, but yeah. So, and readers um, and, and for writers too, for me, it's so fun writing a, a longer series because as soon as I set in to write that book, I'm back with my friends and and the Wolfpack bar and all the stuff that's in it, the town. And for readers, it's that same thing. Oh my God, they went to the bar and it was, you know, so it's fun and everybody has their favorite hero and heroine. And so whenever they show up on the page, they're like, yay. Um, (laughs) So I try to make sure everyone gets screen time, but it's hard with the big cast of characters. So thinking of what you said about um, getting back in your series, getting back with your, you know, your characters, your friends, how is it feeling now knowing that this is the final book in the series? And I'm just curious. So how is it feeling for you? And have you, what's the feedback you've been getting from your readers? Um, it's always emotional for me writing a final book. I think that was my fourth series to finish. And every time, um, that I write a final book, um, it's emotional for me. I ball often writing the final book because I know this is the last time we're going to do this. I don't think it's quite that emotional for the readers, but, um, this book, uh, has some really great, I think they were really great um, moments because Jet, our final hero, was really, not only was he the last one without a mate, but he was really a lone wolf because of the experiments he went through for the super soldier research. And it left him changed and he distanced himself from everyone and the whole series he's been very distant and so getting into his skin was fun for me but also very emotional because there were moments in the book that I don't know if it hit readers as hard as it hit me but there there's a moment in the book where he he knows he's told her that she's his mate and everything and he takes her to the Wolfpack bar in Sedona but he's the final one. Everybody else like 
they have kids now, everyone's busy and he gets there and he wants to introduce her to everyone, but there's no one there. They all have lives. And, and, um, the one who is tending the bar, she, um, secretly calls everyone and says, you have to get over here. And so anyway, they're in this scene, they all start coming in and he's floored that they would do this for him. And, and that just, it makes me choked up just talking about it. But it's that moment, all of my books have the theme of found family that you, you find the people who will have your back no matter what, even if they don't agree with what you're doing and, and all of the wolf packs for me, that's what pack means is, is these are the people who are going to be with you no matter what. And when they all started showing up for him and he said, I can't believe you guys did this. And they said, well, this is your maiden. Yeah. If you love her, we do too. And it was just for me, I was like, whoa, um, <laughs> that was the final book. And, and so anyway, seeing Jet finally get embraced, you know, and, and seeing him realize that they've had your back all along. Yeah. Um, it was, was really nice for me. So that's my favorite part of writing the Wolfpack book books is the pack dynamics itself, um, is, is really nice and fun to play with. And I was an only child growing up. So I'm pretty sure that's why that theme always, I don't mean to do it, but almost always it's this found family because I always wanted this big family and I did not have that. So, you know, so that keeps coming, coming up. So, um, so anyway, it has lots of family dynamics. Well, I know what I thought was neat. You know, um, people have discussions. I'm just getting a little bit off on the side here was how it's written. You know, you'll have, let's say, the opening chapter, hope, and then the next chapter, chat, right? Hope. And it's neat. For me, I liked seeing their points of view, you know, and I've. I mean, the one I'm working on now, I've got, I was talking with my editor. I said, is, would this work if I have part one, this person's point of view? Because I really want the reader to see what's going on with this person. And I liked that with your book, you know? Yes. Hope, chat, hope, chat. And it was easy to read. (laughs) So kudos to you, right? Thank you. You Thank you. When I put out my first wolf pack, it almost didn't sell because of that. Really? Um, Because I was still doing traditional publishing then. And my agent, um, I had written the first book, Moonlight is the, the Reno pack. And that was my first wolf pack. And I wrote the whole book, alternating first person point of view. And now I think it's much more common than it was, but back then that was not a thing. And she, we got rejections from publishing houses that were like, maybe if you rewrote it in third person, or maybe if you put hers in first person and his in third person. And I tried, I did go back and try to rewrite it in third person, but for whatever reason with the werewolves, I think, cause they're so gritty, yeah. it, it just, it, it was too distant. Um, so 
I told her I didn't want to do that. So we finally found a publisher who would do it. And they are by far my best selling series. And I think it's because the readers like getting both points of view and they like it to be really deep. So that first person gets it done. Um, so I do write some series in third person. So it's not that I don't like third. And I think yeah. you can still get a deep point of view with third person, but it's something about the werewolves that they just need to be in first. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, but I had scenes in that first book in Moonlight where I needed, I couldn't do the whole book in her point of view yeah. because there was stuff happening in the werewolf pack that I needed the reader to know that she did not. Yeah. So doing the alternating first person made it possible for me to see what's going on with the wolf pack and what's going on with her. Yeah. So the reader would know, but she did not. Yeah. You know, so good, good. Cause I, I know what you mean. I mean, okay. So like I mentioned on Monday, when we were talking, I started writing before 2000 and you did not do right I think they called it um was it head hopping head hopping I just about said head jumping I thought no that's that doesn't sound right right head you did not do that right Mm -hmm. and uh I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad to see like I said with yours it was very easy to go to hope Mm -hmm. to jet hope to it wasn't a problem yeah okay so on your website you have a tab titled, okay, so our, our readers know, we're, our listeners know, we're going to kind of change streams here. You have a tab that's titled Metaphysical Me. Mm-hmm. And you write, paranormal isn't just a brand to me. It's a big part of who I am. When I'm not writing, I'm often reading tarot and oracle cards. So I thought, okay, this is cool. Okay. Um, Because I I have a ghost in mind. So, and I remember hearing ghost stories growing Mm -hmm. up. Okay. And I've had my own ghost experience, which is what turned me. Okay. To, Mm -hmm. okay. So did you grow up in an environment, a household where there was tarot, there was Oracle cards, there were ghost stories, or was that something you discovered? on your own? Um, it, because I'm pretty sure because I was an only child, I lived in my head a lot. Yeah. Um, plus my parents were divorced. So it was like, I was alone. I, I grew up really fast. And so I was alone a lot. And um, I was very interested in those kind of things. My family was not super religious about anything. Yeah. Um, but I just always felt like um, if everything is energy, mm-hmm. then losing a human body, you would still be energy, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, so I've always had that leaning that yeah. there's more, there's more than just what we see. Yeah. And, um, and when I got older, I got really into tarot cards, and so. I am a professional tarot and oracle card reader on the side, and I used to do it in psychic shops back before the plague. Um, (laughs) And uh, I have a lot of fun doing that. But now that there's Zoom, I read for people all over the world now. So it's so much fun. Um, And I also teach a course on tarot for writers because I use tarot for my writing and 
um, I find that even if you're not into tarot cards, writers it is such a such a great tool, especially if you are a pantser. If you're yeah. not plotting, it's so helpful because tarot cards actually are um, the four elements are the four aspects of your life. So it can really make a balanced character more so than because sometimes we all lean to our own. We can't help it because we're yeah. human. So like I don't usually give money much of a thought. Yeah. But if I pull a tarot card and my my heroine gets the nine of or the eight of pentacles all about saving, then I know, oh, she is concerned about money. Maybe okay. she grew up very poor and hungry. And now it's like this is important. So that means that sometime during the book, I'm going to have to do something where she is either threatened or does lose money okay. um, so that she can learn that she, she doesn't need it. It's a crutch, um, you know, and, and all that she'll be okay. She can do it. Um, so tarot cards for me as a writer are a huge help. And so I've been teaching quarterly um, tarot for writers classes over Zoom. Wow. So I've had all kinds of New Zealand and yeah. Australia. So anyway, it's very fun. We record them for the people who are in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. <laughs> the middle of the night for them, but, um, but it's been very fun. And, um, and I love seeing, I'll see them post on Twitter that I pulled these cards for my character and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that is so so, cool and interactive. Right. Yeah. 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 So, and anytime you get stuck, you can pull a card, you know, what needs to happen this scene. And so it's very fun. Yeah. Okay. So that so leads into, when I was, oh man, it, I went, like you said, before the pandemic, before all of this stuff, I went to the Whistler Writers Festival in 2019. And I attended um, a session on archetypes, archetypes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, and as the presenter was talking, she brought up the archetype of the orphan. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening to her, I thought, Oh, that fits with my character. Yeah, my character, you know, and the brains, and I'm writing notes, not about what she's saying, but how it could, it triggered, right? Like how it could right. work for my character and who, and, and also who ends up being the antagonist. Mm-hmm. So when I was listening to your interview on the Kobo podcast, oh, uh-huh. you were talking about using tarot cards. And just like you said now, and I laughed because you said, <laughs> you, you, please elaborate, because you were talking about how the first tarot cards you had, they were all pictures of angry men. Yes. <laughs> and then yes. can you please tell our listeners the story about your heroine, the ship, and the yes. card you pulled? Yes, that saved Pirate's Passion. Um, <laughs> so... So first off, for people who are new to tarot, everyone tells you to get the Rider Waite tarot deck. It's the beginning deck. It's the old guard tarot cards. Um, And to anyone listening who has done that and gone, I can never use tarot cards, um, please look for other decks. But I had that deck because that's the one you start with. And the deck is full of angry men. Almost (laughs) every picture. 
Yeah, but almost every picture is this angry man with his arms crossed, you know, and and so I could not connect with those at all. And the reality is, even though I'm very, even though I'm very metaphysical person, I am not like a super woo woo person. I know that these tarot cards are pictures printed on cardboard. They are not I know movies like to make them mystical and scary, but they're not. They're just a tool. They're a tool to tap into your intuition. So I looked for different tools and I found all kinds of tarot cards that have different kinds of pictures. My go-to deck is the Mystic Dreamer deck where they're all very, you know, fantasy oriented. And some of them have men, but for the most part, they're very pretty and they have women on there and there's a lot going on that I can tap into. And suddenly tarot clicked and I, I can read off any deck now, but if you start with the Rider Waite deck, keep looking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not you. It's the deck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but then when I was writing Pirates Passion, yeah. um, that particular series has immortal pirates. They had in the 1700s, they plundered the Holy Grail and they all drank from it. They've been alive ever since. Wow. So they're in Savannah. That's your but story. In, Yeah, that's the basis of the series. Yeah. And they've all been in Savannah since 1700s and they're still there. They have normal jobs. Um, They have built a replica of their pirate ship that they give tours of. But in the second book in Pirate's Passion, I got so stuck. Yeah. Um, because my heroine was a historian who worked for the Maritime Museum and he yeah. takes her out on, he's trying to woo her yeah. and he takes her out on the sea dog. So here is the pirate crew sailing the 17, this replica of a 1700 Spanish galleon. Yeah. And I get her out there and I realize I am never going to get this scene to end ever because she was so interested in everything. I'm like, I am bored stiff. Readers will be bored. I can't make this end. Um, I could not. And and I had to walk away for a while because I couldn't make it in. And finally, I, I was desperate. And I have, when I write the pirate series, I actually have a deck of pirate tarot oh, wow. that I use for these. Yeah, and they're all very pirate inspired. But um when you get a themed tarot deck, they often change some of the major arcana cards to okay. be, you know, with the theme. And anyway, I shuffle, I shuffle, shuffle. And I'll, you always have to have an intention when you yeah. draw. Otherwise, you get an answer and you have no idea what it's for. Yeah. So my intention was, how can I end the scene? And I pulled a card and it said overboard. <laughs> I was like, what? I, it hadn't even crossed my mind to throw her overboard, but it was perfect. And it saved the whole book. It made a great scene. And I was like, thank you, tarot cards. Um, so it just had never occurred to me to throw her overboard. Um, so I had, I had them have to tack the ship into the wind. So the giant sail goes twists around to the other side and she's never sailed before. So when the big beam came across, it just shoved her right overboard um so anyway it was it was very very fun and it ended up it was exactly what I needed and that's what tarot cards can do for you you know when you're a writer 
That is a great story. And like I said, <laughs> when I was listening to Kobo, I thought, oh, please, I have to ask her. She's got to tell that story because that it, it is that cracks me up. Because I think yeah. I think readers would be so interested in knowing how does she kind how did she come up with that scene? Right. Right. I pulled and then, the card. I was desperate. Yeah. And then the writers, all of us are like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've been there. You know, where you're just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah, you know? You're so stuck. Yeah. yeah. And I remember one night going to bed and I walk in, in the bedroom and my husband's looking at me and he goes, what's wrong? You, you've got a very serious expression on your face. And I said, I think I just figured out what's going to happen to my heroine <laughs> and he doesn't understand, you know, but you do, you know, when you're just like, oh, yes. okay, I think I figured it out. Right. So, okay. Yeah. And I don't want to forget. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so your podcast is book lights mm-hmm. and you've interviewed Kathy Reich, Meg Tilly, Tosca Lee. What was your inspiration for starting that podcast? Um, it's actually not mine. Readers okay. Entertainment Radio um, runs Booklights and Readers Entertainment Radio, two podcasts. Okay. And and I had been on both podcasts um, for books when they came out. And I get their newsletter. And um, Sheila English, who runs Circle of Seven Productions, they make book trailers. Um, she runs the website for Readers Entertainment Radio, and I get her okay. newsletter. And so a few years ago, I think it's been four or five years now, um, she sent out a newsletter that she needed a new host for book lights. And if we if you know anyone, you know, send me an email so I can talk to them. And I thought about it and I thought, I love talking to authors. Yeah. So I emailed her back and said, how about me? Yeah. And she said, yes, let's do this. So um so anyway, I think I've been doing it now weekly for about four years. And um we've had Christopher Rice on and Christine Feehan and lots of, you know, New York Times bestselling yeah. authors. Kathy Reich was, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's been really fun. I've had Peter James on from um, over in England. That was yeah. fun. He's on an island in England. Um, so it, it's been, it's been really a fun thing. I love it. I look forward to it every Monday. I talk to people from authors from all over the world yeah. and it's just been um really fun and yeah. all genres. So I have sci-fi and fantasy and thriller and romance and um, horror. October, I always do horror. I okay. have so much fun then. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a really fun podcast and for it, it is focused more for readers. So we talk about books and TV and movies and, you know, just so you can get to know the author. Yeah. And hopefully, um, I know as a reader myself, when I'm flipping through my Kindle app, looking for another book, I always stop on the ones for people that I've, that I feel like I know. Yeah. So I hope that through the book lights podcast that people feel like they know the author, author. And when they're flipping through their Kindle, they go, Oh, that was the funny guy with the, with the, you know, dog or something that they heard about on the show. So um, that's always the hope. Okay. Okay. So the other thing that's neat about, I find very interesting about you is you performed for the San Diego opera. I did. So, and you mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast. So 
what is it about opera singing? Like, I, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like I find, okay, I'm a big fan of the voice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I always watch that. And um, I remember the time when they had an opera singer come out and yeah, I just, you stop and you yes. listen and you're just like, wow. So yeah. what is your, what, what is your pat? What is it about opera singing for you that you Um, Well, music was always my passion. That was my first love. And I actually have two CDs out that came out before I ever got published um, writing. (laughs) Um, So so, um, I have a Broadway CD out and a holiday um, CD out. But they, um, for me, opera, the draw was that when I first started singing in, you know, junior high and high school choir and stuff, um, you sing classical music. So that was kind of what I was geared to. But what happened was in high school, I went and saw my first opera at San Diego Opera. And for anyone listening who has never been to a live opera, everybody should go just once. But it's like you time travel. That was what I felt like because I sat down and it was it was Mozart at Marriage of Figaro. And I sat down in the big theater and the orchestra started to play and the people came out and were singing with no microphones, no. And I realized this is exactly what it sounded like to Mozart. And I realized this has, this, this is the same. It's, it's the only to me, it's the only performing art that is exactly, it's performed the same way that it was 400 years ago, you know? And Pure. I'm just like, yeah. 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 And, and that was what attracted me. I felt like I was time traveling. And wow. there is also a euphoria when you sing like that, because you're, you're drawing air, not really to your lung, all the way to your diaphragm. And so you feel like you're singing with your whole body. Oh, and wow. so when you do it, I, I mean, I still, I still sing opera myself, even though now I pretty much just write, but I still do it because I feel so good after I do it. It's like you get everything out. Um, (laughs) So because opera, the way that they make the sound so loud is it it feels like it's coming out from between your eyeballs. And and so you get this resonance that the air like goes up the back of your head and comes out. So it stays, they call it pointed so that you need the sound to be pointed so that you can be heard over the orchestra because you've got you know, 50 people playing music and you still have to be heard. So, yeah. um, but it's that resonance that you make. It takes your entire body to do it. And, okay. and um, so it, it's, there is a euphoria when you sing it um, because you're not leaning on a microphone. Um, nothing against microphones. I've done yeah. that too. I've yeah. done musicals where they take the little mic to your head, you know, yeah. that's no biggie, but, but opera is really special because when you hear it, you're hearing it the same way it was heard, you know, centuries ago. Yeah. And where else can you do that? It's yeah. very, very time traveling to me. Okay. <laughs> so. so if I, I'm just thinking book four with Jade, if I want to write a a book of uh, a thriller involving an opera singer, can I email you? Cause I would oh, love yeah. <laughs> oh, that is <laughs> So cool. Okay. 
Well, Lisa, this has been fascinating. Last question. After 40 books, what's next? And I want to make <laughs> sure I get all your socials too. So yeah, what's that next? That is a great question because yeah. what is next is um, I'm putting out my first thriller. Oh, it gosh. comes out in May. Okay. And it's called Perfect. And I'm putting it out under L.A. Kessler. It's obviously still me. It's not a secret. I just don't want romance readers to to be shocked. But it's it's um, it still has a romance subplot in there. But the romance is not front and center. The bad the bad is front and center. So it's, um, but it's the concept is, you know, what if your life depended on being perfect and it's genetic engineering and cloning and, and it's very creepy. (laughs) Well, if you're up to it, I'd like to get you back on there to talk about that book. If you're up to it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Sure. Yeah. It's called the gen it's book one of the Genesis trilogy. There'll be three. Wow. Wow. Cool. Okay. So then what are your socials? So people can look you up and find you and, and your, yeah. And your web address, all that stuff. Yeah. So my website is lisa-kessler.com. It's K-E-S-S-L-E-R. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, um, at L-D-Y Disney and, um, on Facebook, I'm Lisa Kessler writer and what other social media is on TikTok? I am on there, LDY Disney. On Goodreads, I am on there, Lisa Kessler. Okay. And Bookbub, Lisa Kessler, also. Okay. Okay. Now I got to ask you I have started a TikTok account, but uh-huh. I have not posted a damn thing. Okay. <laughs> What okay? What what are you what what do you post? Okay, on Instagram, I know what to post on Instagram. I can't dance. Okay, I am not. No, going to I don't put, dance. I don't dance on my TikTok. Um, yeah, I so can't put a video my, of me dancing. Okay, what what do you put? No. Well, my my daughter thinks that my TikTok is adorable because I am a dork and I am not afraid to let my dork flag fly. Um, oh. So anyway, mine is very goofy, but okay. but I do put um, book teasers on there. I do a weekly tarot reading for free every week. Okay. I do it on YouTube and on TikTok. Um, and uh, I put on... Um, during Halloween, I was very busy on TikTok because I always do, because I got my start writing horror short stories. That's really where my heart is. And so, um, so that's why perfect is exciting for me because it's very scary, but, but, um, at Halloween, I always do my annual Halloween movie countdown of my favorite Halloween movies. And so it was fun this year on TikTok because I could use the green screen TikTok um oh wow filter I guess and so I could put the movie poster behind me and tell everybody why I love this movie and then and oh, wow. so that was fun so I was very busy in October I did one every day but usually I only do maybe three TikToks a week three or four <laughs> but okay so but it's it's fun and and but I'm not I don't dance on it and I'm just yeah. not clever enough. I watch other people's. I'm like, dang, you guys are so clever yeah. and I am not that clever. So I'm just kind of dorky and there's lots of stickers and things. Okay. <laughs> Cause I have like, when I put together my book trailer, I have like 
clips, okay, mm-hmm. of where the book takes takes place. I have a clip from Chinatown. I have a clip of, you know, so I'm like. You could put your book trailer on TikTok. On TikTok. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, I gotta you try to. It. I gotta try to remember the password now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lisa, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. I've kept you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. Good. And if if you're up to it, I'd like to have you back and we can talk about perfect. Oh sure, yeah, that would be fun. Okay, Lisa. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.